Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor at the sporting sponsor of Onco Farm at the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. I do apologize. This is coming out a day late. Uh, it's December uh, 11th. Uh, 2020 as I'm recording this, and this episode may sound a little bit different uh, because currently my external hard drive, which has all the podcast data stored on it, is not working, which means <coughs> our nice fancy intro and outro music uh, may not be available uh, ever again. No, I hope not. I hope I'll be able to recover it. Um, running some stuff in the background. Hopefully this uh, this will work. Um was hoping to talk about uh, COVID vaccine and cancer patients today. That may have to wait another week, it seems. Uh, so let's talk about some updates in breast cancer. And I've got two studies to talk about um, <clears throat> recently out uh, that both have companion pieces. And the first one I want to uh, start on uh, is Rx Ponder, which was just presented at the uh, San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. And the companion study for Rx Ponder is Taylor Rx. Now, Taylor Rx was a study that came out. Uh, 2018 in NEJM, about 6,000 patients with hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative, or unamplified breast cancer, most common type of breast cancer. And these were patients who uh, <clears throat> were known negative in Taylor RX and were intermediate risk for recurrence based on the Oncotype DX score. So Oncotype DX score looks at 21 genes and gives you a number uh, based on, on those genes of the risk of coming back from 0 to 100. 25 and above is considered high risk generally, less than 10 is considered low risk, and high risk, you know you're going to give those folks chemo after surgery. Low risk, we don't think we need chemo, we know that. Intermediate risk, we weren't sure what to do with those folks that were no negative. Taylor X showed that we can probably omit chemo in most of those patients. <clears throat> the manuscript kind of says everyone, but if you look at the force plots in the supplementary appendix, and we talked about this two years ago, those with a recurrence score of 21 uh, up to 25, actually did poor just getting hormonal therapy compared to chemo and hormonal therapy. Okay, so Taylor X told us, no negative patients, most of them, if you're intermediate risk, don't need, don't need chemo unless your recurrence score is 21 and above, is kind of my interpretation of Taylor RX. What RX Ponder does is take the next step, which is looking at what about these patients who are node positive? Can we omit chemo in some of them? Which is a very bold uh, concept to uh, consider. So this was looking at uh, RX Ponder uh, number of patients here. I think about 5,000, 4,000, 5,000 patients were in this study. They were node positive, but one to three nodes. So they were in one, not in two, not four or more lymph nodes, just one to three uh, lymph nodes. Hormone positive, HER2 negative, and recurrence score of 25 or less. And they were randomized to either chemo plus endocrine therapy or endocrine therapy alone. And these were presented uh, at San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, so not published, so we're, we're kind of going off the press release and uh, some screenshots some folks have sent me of this. Um, overall, population showed um, no difference uh, between chemo and endocrine versus endocrine therapy in terms of the primary endpoint of invasive disease-free survival. So invasive disease-free survival would be uh, either death would be an event uh, recurrence of distant disease would be an event, or a new invasive breast cancer, so not carcinoma in situ, which would not be an invasive cancer, um, which the FDA looks at invasive disease-free survival in the adjuvant setting as a good predictor and surrogate endpoint for overall survival. All right. So we kind of talked about this last week with disease-free three-year disease-free survival in colon cancer being a surrogate endpoint for overall survival, an idea that held true. We'd have to wait to see for RX Ponder if that holds true. Uh, but that is uh, that is uh, 
the history suggests that it would, I guess is how I'd say this. So while there was no improvement in five-year disease-free survival in adding chemo to these folks, that was not tr accurate when you look at the subgroup analysis by pre- and post-menopausal. Uh, in premenopausal men, there was a negative impact of omitting chemo, a pretty large impact. So the five-year disease invasive disease-free survival rate in pre five-year invasive disease-free survival in premenopausal women uh, was 89% if they just got hormonal therapy, compared to 94.2% if they got chemo, and that's an absolute difference of a five percent, which is the number you treat at 20 to give chemo to keep one person without having a a distant or invasive recurrence or death, which is a pretty large magnitude of benefit, 5%. Uh, and since that was the standard of care, the way you interpret this is that was um, a pretty big different level of inferior care for these node-positive patients if they were premenopausal. Now, if women were postmenopausal, the invasive disease-free survival rates were the same. It was 91.9%. Um, and then uh, just a little bit lower, 91.6% in those who had hormone uh, therapy plus chemo. So 91.9 versus 91.6, those seem basically to be the same to me. But there was a statistically significant difference in those who were premenopausal. So what does this mean? Assuming this holds up when published, and I would expect that to be, this was published by the NIH. This isn't like a, a pharmaceutical-sponsored uh, study. Um, You've got somebody who's postmenopausal, your typical, your most average breast cancer patient. If you were writing, if you're teaching and you're like, what's the most generic breast cancer patient I can create on paper that will try and give a good idea of what this looks like? It's going to be a postmenopausal woman who's ERP or positive, HER2 and amplified, who's, you know, postmenopausal in their, in their 60s. Those are most of the patients in this study. Um, or from this study, we can say that even if you're node positive, one to three lymph nodes, so not four more, but one to three, it looks like you can safely omit chemo. That is not the case, though, for premenopausal women uh, in, this, in this category. They still do need to receive chemo. So, of course, these postmenopausal women are going to benefit from this because there's less acute toxicity from chemo. They're going to have less late toxicity of chemo, such as heart failure from the anthracyclines or secondary leukemias from, uh, from cyclophosphamide. Uh, less trips to clinic, which is important during the time of COVID, of course, uh, and therefore better quality of life, all right? That's Rx Ponder. The next study I want to talk about was just published in JAMA Oncology, and this is a, uh, a Chinese study, uh, SYSUCC-001. Uh, this is the effect of capecitabine maintenance therapy using lower dosage and higher frequency versus observation on disease-free survival, although not invasive disease-free survival, uh, among patients with early-stage triple-negative breast cancer who had received standard treatment. So you can see they're a different primary endpoint for a Chinese study versus uh, an American-funded study where they were looking at invasive disease-free survival. The companion piece for this paper would be CreateRx, which was published in uh, 2017 in the New England Journal of Medicine that was looking at uh, anybody who was um, uh, HER2 negative and got adjuvant treatment, and then giving uh, adjuvant capecitabine or additional capecitabine after standard adjuvant chemo with anthracycline and taxane. And what they found is an overall survival benefit that was that was basically limited towards the triple negative breast cancer patient. And it's important to consider it when we look at some of these uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors being studied in the triple negative breast cancer patient population. Is we do know from CreateRx that there was a benefit to 
to doing some additional chemo uh, with capecitabine after our standard uh, you know adjuvant treatment arms with anthracycline, cyclophosphamide, and taxanes. So this is a Chinese study that's looking at a longer duration of capecitabine for these patients. Um, oh, hold on, I need to correct something there about CRATE-RX. CRATE-RX was looking at patients receiving neoadjuvant chemo, so not adjuvant, I messed that up. In CRATE-RX, they got neoadjuvant chemo. The patients who did not have a pathologic complete response, meaning they got their neoadjuvant chemo, they had surgery, the breast cancer, if it was still there, then they were randomized to either adjuvant capecitabine or nothing. And of course, adjuvant capecitabine had an overall survival benefit uh, for all patients, um, that the, the entire patient population, I should say. Now, when you look at the subgroup analysis, the benefit was much, much greater in the triple negative breast cancer uh, patient population. I got that. I wrote that down somewhere. The hazard ratio for triple negative breast cancer was 0.58 uh, if you were triple negative. If you were hormone positive but HER2 negative, the hazard ratio was 0.81. So just numerically bigger, uh, bigger impact, much less risk in the triple negative with adjuvant capecitabine. And despite having less than half the number of patients in the triple negative group, the confidence interval was narrower. So if you're really, really good based on Crate RX of giving extra capecitabine to triple negative breast cancer patients in the in the uh, curative setting, and of course that's something as I mentioned we got to consider when we look at uh, adding uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors in triple negative breast cancer patients. Make sure the control arm is getting that 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 adjuvant capecitabine, whether after the new adjuvant. Uh, treatment, which is what Crate RX would say. So this is looking at a slightly different patient population um, in this Chinese study. They're looking at all triple negative breast cancer patients. It's not the neoadjuvant chemo though, it's adjuvant chemo. And then they got either a year of capecitabine or observation. Now the year of capecitabine sounds pretty toxic, but it is a lower dose. It's not the gram per meter squared twice a day, two weeks on, one week off that many are used to. It's 650 milligrams per meter squared twice daily every day for 12 months, which is a similar dose to what we see in the EOX regimen, uh, which is a gastric cancer regimen um, uh, published in New England Dramesson by David Cunningham probably 10, 15 years ago at this point. So low dose every day uh, for maintenance. And so what they see is uh, in this study is there is an improvement in disease-free survival favoring capecitabine. It has a ratio of 0.64 with a confidence interval of 0.42 to point. 9.5, uh, which was their primary endpoint. Um, we don't see a difference in overall survival yet, although there is a longer follow-up needed uh, for that most likely. But when you compare this <coughs> uh, this study, which is uh, a year of capecitabine um, after standard chemo for uh, triple negative breast cancer patients, and then you look at what adjuvant capecitabine did for those who received new adjuvant chemo that did not have a, um, a pathological complete response. We do see uh, a trend uh, and a track record of benefit for triple negative breast cancer patients who don't do extremely well with our standard chemo to get some capecitabine uh, on the back end. Um, at least here in the States, probably most of our triple negative breast cancer patients, um, unless it's just a, a very early stage one disease, are probably gonna get neoadjuvant chemo because triple negative breast cancer is so aggressive. Uh, it does present usually a little bit later, locally advanced disease. Many of those folks are going to get neoadjuvant chemo. If they don't have the PCR, then adjuvant capecitabine is recommended based on Crate RX. If you do have someone, though, who doesn't get neoadjuvant chemo and they go straight to surgery and they get adjuvant chemo, this Chinese study does suggest that, that some, some extra capecitabine is beneficial. Now, whether you need a year at a lower dose or you could do an abbreviated course like four or six months, um, 
with standard capecitabine dosing is a question that remains unanswered at this point, and of course means uh, we will get future study on that. Okay, so you know, two quick updates uh, on on breast cancer uh, that uh, I hope are, are useful and you can take to your clinics uh, and your docs. I will say, you know, just reflecting on RX Ponder that I think it may be hard for some physicians. Uh, even in those postmenopausal women who have a low recurrence score, less than 25, um, to, to emit chemo. Now, RX Ponder hasn't been published, so we don't really know the subgroups. As I said earlier in TaylorX, some of those higher risk, 21 to 25 in the intermediate risk, did, did benefit from chemo. Uh, so I'd like to see that published. But I can see some folks being wary, some, some oncologists, of, of foregoing chemo in anyone who's node positive. Because... That's kind of been the mantra going all the way back to the first adjuvant uh, breast cancer study that showed an overall survival benefit. The big one was CMF. Uh, almost all the benefit of adjuvant CMF was in node-positive patients. So we're getting smarter now with oncotype and looking at genetics uh, of the tumor, um, and that's good. So uh, one of the things that would be an interesting research project for some folks would be to look at the adoption of chemo use uh, or omitting chemo in, in these postmenopausal women who are who are node positive, one to three nodes and a recurrence score is less, less than 25. That's an interesting thing as someone who follows kind of how physicians prescribe. I just uh, recently, a resident project looked at that for olanzapine in high-risk patients after the 2016-2017 ASCO guidelines. And, and we see it took about two years until we reached kind of a, the peak olanzapine prescribing for folks. So it does take some time even after guidelines are published for everyone to kind of catch up. So that would be something maybe if you're looking for a research project to, to watch is adoption of, of this practice. Once, you know, once uh, our favorite guidelines, uh, you know, kind of adopt the results of Rx Ponder once it's published. Okay, well, that's it for, for this week. And uh, I hope to be talking to you again next week with all of my hardware and all my software and everything working and a, an EUA for a vaccine for COVID. Um, until then, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetna. Follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. Until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.